and gents and everything in between welcome back to a thompson and other disappointments what's going on um lots lots happening out there in the uh the formerly great britain um you're very welcome join me once again this friday night half past seven it's go time guys i say i say it's friday half night half half night i say it's friday at half past seven at night it's not for me is it it's lunchtime for me i'm pre-recording this um i wish i had the childcare to do a show out here tonight but unfortunately i have made the grave mistake of liberating my woman allowing her keyword there allowing permitting her to escape the house and go and hang out with her friends while i selflessly stay back in the house and look after the children so yeah i'm uh feeling pretty good about my feminism credentials this evening for allowing her to go out and see her friends um and it's do you know what fair fair is fair because i usually go out every wednesday or thursday like i'm in london i do my meetings i get my stuff out of the way and then I tried to go to a gig, but last night that did not pan out, ladies and gents. It just didn't uh, <laughs> didn't work. I went to Dalston, where I normally do my uh, my stand up stuff. I test new ideas out there, and it's the first time I've been back there since uh, like before Christmas. Uh, and obviously they've changed the shows, or I've forgotten when the shows were, or something. Either or, you know, maybe I'm in throes of mental decline entirely possible um but I, I rock up there i'm looking for the big floor banner the floor stand that says comedy live here tonight and uh there's nothing and i'm like okay well i mean i'm a bit early so i get myself a beer i sit down get my laptop out start working on stuff and then it gets sort of close to showtime and there's still nothing there and I'm like, oh no! I like they have like they stopped doing Thursday nights, haven't they? So now I'm just a guy drinking alone in a bar with my laptop, which is fine. You know, don't judge me. I'm I'm okay with that. Um, but yeah, then then I, you know I don't want to rant and moan about this for too much for too long. But uh, then I thought, well, do you know what? I'll just I'll probably just head home then. So I, I check the trains because I've been caught out like this before where you go to Waterloo and then you've just missed the train. And then because they've changed the trains that come back to this shit heap, the worst town in Hampshire, um, then you have to wait a whole other hour at Waterloo, just walking around, you know. Oh, maybe I'll maybe I'll go in M&S, get myself a. Oh, oh, no, I did do that. I did, I did that already, didn't I? Yeah. Maybe, well, maybe I'll just... Then you end up, like, bored and sitting in a bar or something, drinking alone again. And then you think, well, I may as well have just stayed in Shoreditch or Dalston or, you know. Anyway, long story short. Then I checked the times, the trains. And it's like, the next train back to here was, like, half past 11 at night. And I'm like, you have got to be fucking joking. Half 11. And this was, like, quarter past eight. I'm like, I can't leave London until half 11. What time am I going to get back at? <laughs> at 1 a.m.? <laughs> On a weeknight, my daughter will have me up at 4. What kind of a state am I going to be in tomorrow? So then I'm like, well, look, if I'm stuck in London until half 11, I may as well get myself a meal. I'll just go and sit down somewhere 
get something to eat. Enjoy the night, you know? Be out amongst fellow young people. Listen to some music, maybe. So I go and get a pizza, another beer. By this point, I'm sort of half cut. I'm like, I'm not, I don't want to stay out. I want to go home. And then I think, well, I'll just check the train times again, make sure it wasn't some sort of data error or, or website problem. And then it says, oh, no, no, there's, now there's trains like every hour. So there was some sort of problem, some national rail data provider thing issue. So then I'm like, well, OK, off I go. I'm, I'm heading back to Clapham Junction. I get on a train. We get about two stops down. They kick everyone out. <laughs> They're like, this train is out of service now because of I don't even think they gave us a reason. They were like, yeah, we've just given up on this one. I think I think the driver of the train just finally reached his end point where he was like, I can't fucking take this anymore. Um, so then they booted us all out and we're at this train platform and everyone there is just huffing and puffing and just, you know, like if you had to cast a group of people as... An impatient group of people. <laughs> These guys would be your perfect theatre troupe to turn up and audition. Because every single one of them was like this, like staring at the watch it watches and you know, putting out their phones, leaving voice notes. I, I know, I know, I know I said I'd be back by that. No, it's not my fault. The train's bloody cancelled. No, no, there's no information at all. No, they haven't given us a reason. I know, I know, I, that's what I say. Uh, loads of that going on. Um, and then, so then we get on this next train and then we go, I, I will get to the end of this story, don't worry. I know it's not the usual political, satirical content that you're here for, influencers, but just humour me while I get through this very British moan about the transport and the weather. So, so we get on the next train Get all the way to Clapham Junction, I get off the train and then realise that because of the 10 minutes we lost from being kicked off that train, I have now missed my train. <laughs> and now I have to stay at Clapham Junction for another fucking hour. I'm like, oh, well, I may as well go to the... So then I find a local bar and I sit down and I get myself... A... And the whole time, each juncture of this thing, I'm like, I may as well have just stayed in the bar in Dalston, sitting there alone, getting smashed. And then like have given up at like half 11 and caught the train up. So last night I finally got home at about half 11, quarter to 12 after having left responsibly left Dalston at like half eight or quarter past eight. I first checked the times and it just made me so angry. I was like, why is this country so shit? Why is it like, we were the highest taxes since the Second World War. You know, train tickets, the cost of them is through the roof. Everything's so expensive. And yet, it's like, oh, could, could we get just one train that works in bad weather? Can we? Yeah, no, I, I, I said, can we get one train that works in bad weather that doesn't get cancelled, that we don't get kicked out onto a rainy platform? Can we just get what? what Go, go fuck myself. Oh, okay. Great. Great. Thank, thanks. Thanks a lot. Every customer service guy ever. <laughs> I don't know, man. Do you, think, do you think train companies know how bad they are? 
Do you think the employees of train companies are fully aware of how abysmal their service is and how terrible value for money it is versus the astronomical cost of the trading? Do you think they have a, a sort of concept of how bad they are? Or do you think, like, you know how you have different companies, right? If you work for a charity or a not-for-profit or someone, like the RSPCA or Cancer Research, you know that what you do is really good, right? And then you've got, I don't know, Tesla, which is, you know, obviously not charity or not-for-profit. You know, we don't like the CEO or, you know, the owner or whatever very much. But in terms of a product, in terms of its proposition to move away from fossil fuels, move into electric cars, to have it connect to your phone, all the technologies involved. People who work for Tesla, I think, really love the fact that they work for Tesla because they know that the product is really good. You know, so over here, you've got like charities, not for profits, really great tech companies. Apple is another one. Like people who work for Apple know that Apple are delivering a good product, a good service, right? That's all the good companies. Then over here, you've got like pyramid schemes, right? You've got the really good ones and the really bad ones, right? Where do you think train companies fit in there? Do you think they know how bad they are? Or do you think they kid themselves? Do they live in a land of delusion where they're like, yeah, I mean, I get, I get people from A to B. And uh, that makes me feel good about myself. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning, is I know that the work I put in to the rail that goes to steal the rail, I know that the work, but I, I get people to work. That's what I do. People who are going places, people who go to see their long lost niece or nephew that they haven't seen for 40 years might catch that train and it goes on the rails that I built or maintained. And I get to, that's, that's a little piece of heaven for me. You know, I feel good about the work that I do. Do you think that's what they tell themselves? Or do you think maybe it's a little bit more like, um, like, oh, excuse, excuse me, sir. Um, are you proud of your work that you do here? You know, of the, of the company that you work for? Do you, do you think that you and the company have, have done a good job this year? Uh, no. <laughs> no, no to all three of those, aid. Right, okay, well, could, could you elaborate? Well, yeah, um... Yeah, when I was younger, I wanted to be a marine engineer, to be honest with you. You know, somebody who builds and maintains boats for the Navy. But um, unfortunately, I, I failed the IQ test by um, answering all the questions in crayon in, uh, in 1890. I, I beg your pardon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in 1890. Like, this whole rail network aid is Victorian. I don't know if you knew that, but... Um, <laughs> It's, it's a Victorian rail network, so National Rail and Network Rail and the Department of Transport, all of them decided that it would be best to exclusively employ engineers from the late 19th century. <laughs> you know, like we, we built it, and so we are obviously best place to maintain it, is the, uh, is the logic. Right, okay, well, that makes, um, that makes uh, a, lot, a lot of sense. A lot of things adding up here. So you, you didn't want to work on the railway anyway. You're 130 years old. <laughs> What about the company? Do you think they deliver value for the astronomical ticket prices? Do you? No. No, no. I think they're gifted contracts based on their private school networks, aid, And they jack up the ticket prices to the highest in Europe so that nobody can afford to commute in. And then everybody wonders why everyone loves work from home so much. Uh-huh. Right. 
And of course, then all of the profits go to the board of directors, shareholders, dividends, rather than being reinvested back into the rail network infrastructure. So gradually things get shitter. Uh-huh. You know, because it's not in the board of directors' interest, is it? To continue to invest in a rail network they'll probably be kicked off of in the next bid process within the next five years. Right. Yeah, but that's I can see that. Like, would you bother investing in a rental property? You know, would you would you put up a new conservatory in a place that you were going to get kicked out of in five years? No, 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 I don't suppose I would. Right. Well, yes, there you go. So the whole thing's a scam. It's completely bereft of commercial, economic or political sense. And every day I wake up disappointed I didn't slip away in my sleep aid, in my nightmares. I would rather die of a stroke in mid-nightmare than wake up realising I'm alive and it's another day I have to come back to work here. I reckon that's broadly their mentality. With perhaps a little uh, layer of theatrical licence. Um... Anyway, so yes, I, I did not have a particularly enjoyable uh, Thursday night, guys. Should we talk about the news? Should we get onto some actual news? You know, try and drag this episode kicking and screaming back into the realms of current affairs and satire. Uh, what's going on out there? So there's lots to talk about, obviously. I mean, a, a lot has happened in the last week. I've touched on it a little bit in uh other episodes <clears throat> other bits other other content um the big thing in terms of like anti-tories you know fuck the tories uh, circles is uh rishi sunak um telling that transphobic joke at pmqs um his uh, needle, the dial of the Rishi Sunak story has moved on very slightly, though. Uh, the Telegraph have published a blog this afternoon. Uh, it says Tory Party Manifesto 2024. So let's assume that there is a general election coming in November or May. We still don't know which one it will be. I've said for about a month now, maybe six weeks now, I've been like, I think it's going to be May. I think all of this talk about, you know, it's November. I would expect it in the second half of this year. I think that's all smoke and mirrors, albeit rather transparent ones, to try to put Labour on the back foot. And then they will actually do a sort of snap election in May. So assuming that it is happening at some point, uh, the Telegraph have published a thing, the Tory party manifesto 2024, Rishi Sunak's expected policies for the general election. Uh, from reducing NHS queues to lowering crime and taxes, the Tories will be fighting on many fronts to convince the electorate to keep them on. Well, yeah, ain't that the truth? <laughs> how, how have they got any credibility? How are they going to go to market and say, you could trust us on reducing the NHS queues? We've all seen the graph. We've all seen the graph of like where Labour were investing in the NHS from 1997 up to 2010. It's like the number of operations, successful operations, and then the waiting list just coming down, down and down. And then the Tories get into power. And ever since then, ever since 2010, it's just gone like, is he seriously going to walk out behind a podium and go, the only people you can trust for the NHS is uh, the people who are ideologically opposed to it. <laughs> you can trust us with us. Remember all the £350 million a week nonsense on the back of that bus that we, we royally led you up the garden path on that. <laughs> that, was a, that was a good one, wasn't it? 
Remember the times when we said that we were going to build 40 new hospitals? Oh, ho, ho, that's such a knee slapper. Do you remember when we refused to give a pay rise to the nurses and junior doctors and so many, they all went on strike and people's cancer operations got postponed or cancelled indefinitely? Lots of people's cancer got significantly worse. A lot of them ended up dying. Oh, my goodness, you can trust us. You really can. Do you remember when we slashed all of the headcount? We said the NHS is too expensive. The NHS has got all of the money it needs. So we wouldn't let you hire people, but then everything got really crazy on the wards, like some sort of war zone, and then you had to hire inexpensive locum contract staff to plug the gap and then the cost of running that went three times as high do you remember that oh you could trust us you could trust us to run the nhs guys i would sooner entrust my son's swimming lessons with michael barrymore i would just like you guys have not earned the right to be trusted with the nhs any longer you've had you've had and that's just the nhs i mean how many other public services do we need to go through education you know, the state of the schools now. We talk, I've spoken endlessly about, you know, the rack concrete stuff. But then we could just as easily talk about the teaching recruitment crisis, the lack of funding, this new sort of influx, this deluge of teaching assistants rather than hiring actual teachers. Uh, anyway, let's, I don't want to rehash all the older talking points. Let's, let's, let's try and take this at face value. Let's, let's appraise it in a sort of reasonably fair way. Um, well, they, right. Okay. So NHS queues, they want, they want to campaign on that. I think that's, that's a mistake, Rishi, but fine. You, you do you, son. Uh, lowering crime <laughs> is the next one. Lowering crime. How do we think they're going to do that? What do we think their campaign strategy is going to be for lowering crime? How many of the cabinet have actually been convicted or forced to resign <laughs> as a direct result of having committed a crime. It, like, since the last election. You've had Boris Johnson, who broke the Partygate rules and laws. They call them guidelines, but they were laws. It was the Coronavirus Act. Um, Rishi Sunak broke those laws also. He was also fined. Uh, miraculously, he appears to have kept his job. Ah... Uh, there's also a big question mark, isn't there, above his and his wife's heads in terms of their tax status. Like when they changed to being full on like British citizens. All he would say in response to that was like, I am not currently a non-dumb or I'm not a green card. I'm not because like, there was a thing about him being an American green card holder or something, wasn't it? Uh, so I still don't think we've got the full picture on his tax status. So there could be like tax avoidance there. Uh, Nadim Zahawe, uh forced to resign as was he chancellor? There's been so many of them <laughs> job hopping, playing musical chairs, or if you're Grant Shapps, literally job sharing with yourself. Um, so Nadim Zahawe, uh who else has broken the law? Suella Braverman, twice I think, once the speeding ticket, and then again. With uh, breaking international law, Jeffrey Cox breaking international law in a limited and specific way. Uh, how how are these guys going to seriously go to market and say, "Trust us with the NHS, and we're going to bring down crime"? That's what we're going to do. We're going to be tough on crime. Are you sure? Are you sure you want to pull at that thread, Rish? 
you're going to be tough on crime, on criminals. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I said. Which criminals <laughs> specifically? Anyone in close proximity to you? No, 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 just uh, just uh, you know the, the uh, undesirable ones, the ne'er do wells. You know, people who shoplift as an almost direct result of the cost of living crisis. We spawned those people. The morally bankrupt plebs out there. We'll be tough on them. Okay, what, what about tax avoiders? Absolutely not. No, does, it ha hasn't even appeared in any of our conversations. Um, so they're going to reduce NHS queues and they're going to lower crime and they're going to lower taxes, guys. Uh, these are the cornerstones of this manifesto. So I think it's going to be interesting. I don't see how they can lower taxes. This is something that keeps getting kicked up every other week. It's like Groundhog Day. We've got to lower taxes. We're conservatives, for goodness sake. We're supposed to be small state and low tax. Why can't we lower taxes? While people with brains are like, <laughs> why can't you fucking listen? Why can't you just let this just solidify and settle in your head? What are you not grasping here? You've spent loads of money. You've borrowed loads of money. That has exploded this national debt, which you now have to service. You have to pay installments on that. It's like a car you got on finance. And every year you have to apportion 100% of your GDP on the value of this debt. You fucking moron. That's why there's no money for tax cuts, because every time you borrow, you've got to start paying it a little bit more back. And that has resulted in the tax burden going up and up and up and up. And people like you, imaginary Tory, imaginary frothing, belching backbencher, are like, I just don't understand it. Like, how are you not getting it? We've got to cut taxes. Oh, God. I just, I despair, you know? But this is, this is a sort of modus operandi now of modern politics, modern politicians, isn't it? It's like they present you with a topic. They present you with the discussion point for that day, that week. In this case, tax cuts. Next week, stop the boats. The following week, inheritance tax or, you know. Every time they surface this topic of conversation, people like you and I, or people like, I don't know, a James O'Brien, or Jeremy Vine, or a Marina Perkis, whoever, will listen to what they're saying, bring it in, dismantle it, explain why it's rubbish, abject nonsense, and then serve it back to them and go, there, I think we sort of put that to bed now. And the mistake that we make on the left is assuming that these people are governed by sense, <laughs> by logic and sanity. And they're not, guys. They are complete fucking lunatics because they present us a problem or a challenge or an idea like we need to get rid of inheritance tax or like we have to reduce the tax burden. We dismantle it, cut it up and explain why that's absolute rubbish and why it's actually kind of your fault, guys. And we serve it back to them. And then they don't just they don't take it in. They don't go like, oh, OK, cool. Thanks for explaining that to me. Yeah, no, I get it now. 
I understand. Instead, what they do is this is this is what happens, right? We've got to lower the tax burden. Right, okay, well, you, you can't do that. You tried that once before with uh, Liz Truss, Kwesi Kwarteng. Um, what happens is then you don't have enough money to service the debt, and then bonds tend to tank, and because pensions are based so close to bonds, then pensions start to collapse, and then the Bank of England have to magic all of this money, and then we're all way, 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 way worse off. There's no money to cut taxes. Do you understand? Then this is them. They go... We, 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 we've got to cut taxes like that's that is as much logical twisting and absorption for want of a better word that they can muster they just don't like the answer that they're being given they don't like inhabiting reality they dismiss anything that sounds like it might dismantle what they're talking about that is just the witterings of experts isn't it it's infuriating. Anyway, so let's go back to this uh, this manifesto. So they're going to reduce NHSQs. They're going to lower crime. Um, they're going to lower taxes. They're not. They're not. Uh, no, that's to all of these. They're not going to lower taxes. The rest of it. We've, we've dismissed all of this, right? Um, the Tories will be fighting on many fronts to convince the electorate to keep them on. And it's become something of a cliche now, hasn't it? It's like, like in every discernible facet or layer or attribute of British society since 2010, every single area has gotten worse. <laughs> like travel uh, is more expensive. You queue a lot more. It's harder to get into Europe, harder to get back. Um, travel locally because it's harder to get into europe and international travel and it's more expensive and stuff then so-called staycations are more expensive than they ever have been plus they're more expensive because of inflation that brings us nicely on to inflation and the economy we are skating we are tiptoe dancing on the cliff of a recession every quarter at the moment and i wouldn't be surprised if it came out that the only reason we haven't fallen officially into recession is because some very government friendly body has gone like yeah well you know if we just factor this in and forget to carry the one on the bottom then technically you've achieved 0.01% growth so you're not officially you're not in recession all right okay so we're growing we're not really you're flatlining <laughs> and because the population is growing then you yeah also you're not really growing because most of the growth is coming from the cost of living crisis with all of these companies jacking up their prices so they're making a killing but nobody's really feeling the benefit of it so um anyway so yes the economy is in pieces what else so we got we've done travel the economy the nhs i think we covered that education <laughs> law enforcement the judiciary <laughs> rape convictions uh, so when it says the Tories will be fighting on many fronts to convince the electorate to keep them on, I'm like, yeah, you're not fucking kidding, are you? Because literally every single industry from the retail world to uh, infrastructure projects like HS2 uh, to science bodies that have left the UK to Brexit in and of itself. Everything has gotten worse. And representatives from all of these different industries and areas of British life are all going to be like, uh-huh, give, give us a reason. 
give us a reason to keep you on. I don't know, man. It must be, it must be really weird being Rishi Sunak <clears throat> at this juncture. Because I'm sure, like, for a long time, when you think about his upbringing, his background, that he must have had it, like, bred into him that he was being prepped and groomed for greatness. You know, I'm going to be the first British-Asian prime minister. Like, he obviously wanted the top job. And I think psychologically, when you come from that world and you think you're going to be prime minister, you imagine that you become Conservative Party leader. Everyone's sort of rallying around you, cheering you on. Then you become prime minister and you get the chance to enact your utopian policies. And then the country flourishes around you and celebrates your successes. And then four years in or eight years in, you get to sort of go on a victory tour, you know, an open top bus around the UK and everyone goes, thanks, Rishi. Oh, thank you. You've done such a good job. Me and my family are so much better off. You inspired us, Rishi, to start our own business. And look at us now. We've got two beautiful daughters and they're at university. Oh, good. It's all because of Rishi. Like that. I think that's the fantasy that people like Sunak are fed. And that's what propels them to pursue the power, right? And I wonder how the reality actually stacks up like against that. You know, where in order to become prime minister, you have to knife the current prime minister in the back <laughs> and become instantly hated by a quarter or, you know, a half of the party who were actually really very supportive of Boris Johnson. Um, you know, so immediately you've got factions and divisions. And even then, once you once you go for the leadership, Liz Truss beats you. <laughs> I mean, I know that everybody talks about like Tories having ego, being sociopaths, callous and all that. But if ever there was a thing, an experience to humble a sociopath back down to being normal, it would be losing out to Liz fucking Truss, wouldn't it? In, in leadership. Losing to Liz Truss, who had no idea about the economy. Sunak was there, an economist. Sunak is an economist. And he had worked in Treasury and as the Chancellor. He knows what he's talking about. He's like, I mean, I wish I, I, wish I could tell you that it's all going to be okay, Liz. But it's not. It's not fair that you're telling people this. It won't work. It will result in recession. Like, he's telling her that in the old, like, the archived leadership debate footage. But people were like, yeah, no, I, I, I like the idiot. I like, can we have the blonde idiot, please? It's, we, we didn't have enough of the last blonde idiot. Can we, can we have this one? So you lose out to Liz Truss. That would humble even the most egotistical sociopath, surely. You walk into the leadership competition, and you're just like, I think I've got this in the bag because I'm Rishi Sunak and I've been bred for greatness. And then you lose to Liz Truss. You'd be like... Suddenly I'm overcome with an overwhelming sense of vulnerability and self-loathing. Perhaps I should take time to reflect. I may even defect the label. That's how damaging that humbling experience. Anyway. Um, yeah, I don't know. I wonder how the reality of being prime minister actually stacks up. Because now he's like, you know, he became prime minister sort of mid-term-ish of that conservative parliament. And already, like in the space of like a year, people were calling for his head, weren't they? Just compare and contrast that to the fantasy 
Yeah, we're, we're so much better off. The whole country's better off because of you, Rishi. It's all for you, Rishi. Compare that to just like half the party hate you. You lost to Liz Trust, then you only get the premiership because the party's too scared to go to the ballot box. And even after you become prime minister, you just sink lower and lower in the polls. And then within two years, basically, you're out on your arms. Like, it's not going to, you know, match up to the expectation, to the fantasy, is it? I mean, look, all, all I'm saying is that the opportunity, the excitement of pursuing and grasping this opportunity, how exciting and fulfilling that must be. And then the immediate aftermath is just like, oh, no. <laughs> it must be like, do you know what it's like? It's like actually getting to have sex with a really beautiful woman. <laughs> and it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. This is incredible. This is everything that I ever imagined it would be. I'm so happy. And then the immediate aftermath, when you failed to satisfy her or she wasn't as into it as you were. <laughs> Three days later, you get the inevitable text, and it's like, "Hi, yeah. Um, last last weekend was fun, but um, I I think we're just better as friends." You're like, "Oh God, this is horrendous and nothing like I thought it would be." I thought this was gonna be something really special. I thought it was crying on the floor, sobbing into your IPA. Memory wanking over what might have been if the sexual encounter had just gone completely differently. Um, see, that's what you get on here, guys. You don't get this on the news agents, do you? Or the troll. Um, what's up, Marina or Gemma, if you're listening? Uh, you know, they, all of these shows, they're very good. Question Time, News Night, all of your favourite current affairs shows. Oh, God, what now? They're amazing. I love them. You love them. But... Do they know how to weave a deeply awkward, uncomfortable sexual metaphor into the worlds of politics and satire? I just don't know. <laughs> um, there is another story I would like to discuss this afternoon. I found it on the Fox News website, which is not a great start <laughs> to an introduction. Me sharing what is about to become the content that we'll talk about. Um... Uh, but it's, yeah, I think you're going to like it. Um, Colorado funeral homeowners. Oh, I can't do the accent now. Colorado funeral homeowners who abandoned bodies spent cremation and burial money on vehicles and a $1,500 dinner. All right. Now we're talking. One of my favorite types of stories is like abstract, weird, totally out there Americana. Um. A Colorado funeral homeowner uh, who abandoned bodies. Then they spent cremation and burial money on vehicles and a $1,500 dinner. John and Carrie Halford owned Return to Nature Funeral Home. <laughs> I already love it. Return to Nature. And they just abandoned. Abandoned the bodies. I mean, this is dark, isn't it? I'm not saying... I'm just saying, like, if you needed to brand a business where you literally just toss cadavers out into the woods 
I mean, the clue's in the name. You couldn't sue them under trade descriptions, could you? Um, partly because that's a UK piece of legislation and uh, this took place in America, but mostly because the branding is just always on flick. If indeed the kids still say on flick. Um, anyway, let's, uh, let's take a look, shall we, guys? Um, it says a couple accused of abandoning nearly 200 bodies at the Colorado funeral home they owned allegedly used payments for cremations and burials for vehicles, cryptocurrency, a $1,500 dinner in Las Vegas, and some other personal items. Um, which I like. Like, There's a sort of subtext to that, isn't there? Like, it's per There's some personal stuff in there. I'm not going to go into it. All right, it's personal. It's none of your damn business. What they spent. <laughs> this fraudulently obtained money on. This is personal. Have, have some discretion. Have some respect, guys. Have some respect for the people that dumped your dad's body. In the woods. Um, it says, FBI agent Andrew Cohen testified in front of a packed courtroom Thursday that John and Carrie Halford bought a GMC Yukon and an Infinity for more than $120,000 with payments from families of the deceased. The money was reportedly enough to cover cremation costs for two times the bodies found decomposing in their business storage facility in Penrose. Okay, so that's interesting. So they found the bodies decomposing in the business's storage facility. So they weren't just like tossing bodies out <laughs> on the side of a road, you know, leaving your grandma in the middle of the woods or anything. It's not that bad. It sounds like they took the money for the cremation and the burial costs and then they maybe didn't. They didn't go through with the cremate. I don't know if they gave them a fake urn with like fake ashes or something in it. Or they said that they'd buried the bodies, but actually they hadn't. They just take the money and go and have a party. But I don't know. Um, uh, let, let's continue. It says, um, it says, Adam Steigerwald. <laughs> They've always got such good names. Haven't they? Adam Steigerwald. Uh, he's John's lawyer. Um, I wonder why they got separate lawyers. Do you think this case has broken their marriage? <laughs> do you think she's just like, I never wanted to do this anyway. And he's like, you wanted a nice dinner, though, didn't you? And she's like, I did not like this, John. And he's like, but I want my own lawyer. I mean, if ever there was a thing that was going to break a marriage, and that's the saddest part about this, guys, is that it broke love. Um, it's the saddest part. Anyway, yeah, if ever there was going to be a thing that would break a marriage, I imagine it would be the possibility that your husband has secretly been hiving off dead bodies, storing cadavers, and then using the money to give you the life that you've always wanted, Carrie. What's wrong with you? Some, do you know what? Some women are just not grateful. No, what? What? No, no, that is not okay, Aid. Um, so, yeah, it says Adam Steigerwald, John's lawyer, argued that the prosecution has not proven that the money from their business account was spent to conceal the funds, meaning it does not fit the crime of money laundering. 
he also said the, cu- uh, the couple used money from the Federal Small Business Administration to buy the Yukon. I don't even know what a Yukon is. Is that like a, a truck? Is that a sort of business van, sort of vehicle or something? Uh, it says Cohen uh, said the money which they received as an adjustment to a pandemic era small business loan. Uh, used to buy was used to buy uh, the Yukon uh, fraudulently after John lied and said he was not behind on child support payments. This has got layers to it, hasn't it? So he's behind on child support payments. He applies for a government loan. That's a weird thing, isn't it? It's like I need a loan to keep my business afloat in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, are you behind on your child support? Like, it's not even business like maybe maybe i have i promise i'll set i'll I'll make good on the child support payments please can i run my business now you know um they just seem like look you should pay child support i'm not saying you shouldn't pay child support um pay your maintenance pay your alimony um but i don't see what relationship alimony has to whether the the government are going to help your business survive and stop you from starving to death in the middle of a pandemic it's like what you know it's like dealing with one government agency and getting badgered like yeah could i get an ambulance it's an emergency uh did you do your taxes on time uh uh, wait what (laughs) did you do your taxes on time what the hell does that have to do with i I said it's an emergency i've just been stabbed in the esophagus Right, just call me back when you've done your taxes, yeah? All right. <laughs> Mabel, get me, get me my goddamn notepad. Pen and the calculator. God damn it. <laughs> um, anyway, let's go, let's go back into this. So uh, uh, it says, Cohen said the money, which they received as an adjustment to the pandemic business loan, was used to buy the Yukon, uh, but it was done so fraudulently. And uh, he was uh, behind on child support payments, but he said that he wasn't. Uh, it says the, the testimony about the couple's spending practices came during a hearing where a judge decided prosecutors presented enough evidence to show John should stand trial. What about Carrie? Where's Carrie in all this? <laughs> what is that John should stand trial, but not Carrie, not the wife. This is a family business, right? And they're exploiting government loans. They're taking money off. They're both on the board of directors, I'm guessing. So he should stand trial, but she's getting... Is she like a star witness? Is that, what, is that where this is headed? <laughs> like, it starts off as a story about an aspirational couple in Colorado who just wanted to start their own business. Enterprising. It's the American dream, right? Like, it starts off as a sort of romantic enterprising tale about the american dream and making something of yourself (laughs) it's a romantic and then it ends five years later with him defrauding the government and she's a star witness going like he made me do it (laughs) it'd be cool like when love ends (laughs) uh it says both john and carrie were arrested in oklahoma in november after each being charged with 190 counts of abuse of a corpse. Wow. Uh, Five counts of theft, 
four counts of money laundering and over 50 counts of forgery. Neither one of them has entered a plea yet. Um, during an earlier hearing for Carrie, text messages were uh, presented by prosecutors that suggested the, How the Halfords together tried to cover up their financial struggles by leaving the bodies at the Penrose facility. Cohen testified that the storage facility had makeshift refrigeration units that were not in use when the decaying bodies were discovered inside the maggot-infested building. Oh my god. Christ. Uh, it says John was concerned about getting caught as far back as 2020 and suggested they dump the bodies in a big hole before treating them with eye, lie or eye or something, or setting them on fire. Oh my god. I mean, look, I'm not a career criminal. I've never defrauded the government. I've never yet had to dispose of a body. But the night is young. But I don't know. I just sort of feel like if you're going to do tax fraud or benefit fraud or something along those lines, isn't there a part of you that like you're signing this document, you sign the thousands of dollars come in here, thousands of pounds come in there or whatever. Like you're doing like and it all feels good, but it might feel a little bit dodgy. And he was scared about getting like, isn't there a point, guys? Isn't there a cutoff, dear listeners, where you're just loading the 14th body? into the makeshift refrigerator. Number 14, I think, would do it for me, where I would just stand there, still, staring, pensive, and I would be like, yeah, I don't, I don't think, let's, let's not do this. This is ridiculous. You know? <laughs> At what point is the natural, like, where is the bell curve on that? Where you pause for thought and go, um, I'm not up for this anymore. You know, I was up for starting a business with you. I did think it was romantic. Uh, now, in hindsight, in retrospect, Carrie, um, I'm just not feeling the <laughs> sequential, habitual disposal of dead bodies and the consideration of setting them on fire. Like, when that thought inhabits your head, maybe we could put them in a pit and set them on fire. Oh, my God. <laughs> Why wouldn't you just go like, what have I become? <laughs> Rather than, I guess we could set them all on fire. Uh, I like this. This is one of the, the messages uh, that he wrote to each other, like the, the pair of them. He says, my one and only focus is keeping us out of jail. Right. So he knows the seriousness of this. Um, but then it says, this is where, this, I, li I like this. His only focus is, is keeping us out of jail. And then it says, John is out of jail after posting a $100,000 bond in late January, while Carrie remains in jail <laughs> on the same amount. <laughs> it's like, okay, so they don't like, they've, 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 either he got the good lawyer and she's like, I want my own lawyer. And then she's got like, you know, my cousin Vinny or something. Lionel Hutz rocks up, <laughs> represents her. The judge is just like, okay, all right, you present a good kid. Yeah, he could go. Not you. Not you. You change into these, bitch. Get in the fucking cell. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's out on a $100,000 bail while she's still stuck in jail on the same amount. So he got the $100,000. He's like, well, I, I'm going to use that to get me free. And you just uh, hang on in there. 
This marriage, if this marriage is still, like, if they're still married now, it's not going to last. It's just not. Um, you know, he's free. She's in the can. Um, I've said this before. Long distance relationships don't work. It's just not going <laughs> to. It's not going to work. Anyone that's ever dated someone or tried to maintain a relationship while one of you is at university and the other one is back here knows. I mean, that's a similar dynamic, isn't it? You're going to visit someone who's at their university. They're locked in their halls. They're there and you just come. It's visitation. And if you're lucky, a, a conjugal visit <laughs> while you're there. Uh, but it doesn't last. That long distance thing is just kaputski. Like, I don't want to ruin anyone's life if you happen to be, like, you know, 18 or 19 and listening to this. In which case, what, what are you doing? Don't listen to this at 18 or 19. I will crush your spirit. <laughs> I will take that hope out of your heart and shit on it. I will ruin your weekend if you're 18 or 19 listening to this. Um, but if you are 18 or 19 and your girlfriend is away at university and you're not, you know, you're still in your hometown and you drive up there to see her every other weekend or something to keep it going. We've just got to make the effort. I'm here to tell you that it's the it's like visiting someone in prison. Like, it's just not. <laughs> it's, it's not going to work out. I'm sorry. I don't want to ruin your life or relationship, but it's not going to happen. That is, that is very much when love ends <laughs> territory also um anyway listen guys i'm gonna have to leave it there uh thank you so much for for tuning in for listening for continuing to support the show and indeed the uh the punk politics stuff and alternative paper reviews in the morning um if you are in a position to to click the three dots you can say a little super thanks um uh, it's like a little tip a tip cup you can throw a tip in on youtube um or if you are really enjoying the stuff that i put out um then don't be a stranger join the patreon guys uh go to patreon.com forward slash aid thompson and uh, there's a load of benefits on there you could start like super cheap three pounds a month um and then there's a couple more tiers after that and you get gradually more as a result of going in higher tiers you know how it works everyone knows patreon and it's similar on youtube if you go to my profile on youtube there's a little join button there and you can help to support the show and indeed join my cult that i'm building guys of my followers my disciples my people of the booge uh right i gotta go take care of yourselves big shouts to the patreons um thank you so much for uh continuing your support of the show uh, to kerry rachel harris bowman kai christy david voice martin maracas mojo sabian peter del monte pingu Stuart chesmar t-rex um, Aaron Smith, Alex Souter, Jeff McGow, MJ Nichols, Ned Berg, Sarah Setters, Simon Flack, Aid, uh, Margaret Abagai, uh, Encore and Foire, Cyclotricity, and Christine Cash. Thank you so, so much, guys. Until next time, I'm out this. Oh, I've gone to the wrong screen there. Uh, <laughs> I'm out this motherfucker. Peace. Yeah.